0: We are aspiring to be a community that is encountering the real God, that is set free to be real as people with one another, with ourselves and with God, that's uh, set free to take real risks for others, to help them to know Jesus, to, uh, to, to spread the word of who Christ is, to love people well. Um, and starting next week, we're going to start going through the book of Acts, and we're going to see how Acts shows us. Um, how uh, how to how to move towards that sort of community? We're going to be working through Acts over the next year, um, but that means today is the last message on the book of First John. So we're going to look at the last passage in First John today. It's printed in your order of worship. If you don't have a Bible, if you have a Bible, you can turn to First John five, uh, verse thirteen. We're going to go from verse thirteen all the way to the end. And uh, just again to remind you, if you haven't. Uh, Figure this out already over the over the summer that uh that first John was written by Jesus' disciple, John, his beloved disciple, one of Jesus' closest friends. And John was writing, much of what John was trying to do was to combat false teaching that was infiltrating the church, these false teachers that were trying to lead people away from believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the life, that He is the way to life the way to experience a relationship with God and, and, and to experience being part of God's family. Um, and so he was combating the, the, the false teachers that were leading the people away from the, the, these things. And so one of the things that he was trying to do, he was, he was trying to help the people know what was true. He was trying to help the people know how much God loved them. He was trying to help the people who are listening to this uh, know that one of our greatest callings in life is to love God and to love one another. It's all about knowing stuff, and, and so as you read through 1 John, if you've read through it in one sitting, you see him use the word, this is how we know, this is, this is what we know, we know this, we know this, we know this, and this last passage that we're going to look at is no exception. He uses the word know seven times in these few verses. So what is it that, as John wraps his letter up, that he wants the listeners to know? What does he want us to know and, and, not, and, and walk away with and not forget? This is God's word. Listen, listen to it as I read from 1 John 5, 13 to 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Father, we pray that your spirit would work in us now, that you would help us to to listen to what you want to say. We want to know you deeper than before. And apart from your spirit, we can't. But we are grateful that you've given us your spirit, and you've promised to speak, and you've promised that your word will will not come back to you empty. So we pray that you would use your word right now as we look at it think about it and that you would change us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's ironic that um, I feel most insecure. One of the places I feel most insecure is in a place that's designed for me to be secure. I feel most insecure in a place that's designed for me to feel secure. It's in airport security. I, uh, just a few weeks ago, Kim and I went on an airplane. We don't go on airplanes a whole lot, but when we go on, on, on a flight somewhere, it stresses me out to no end to go through airport security. It's, it's awful. I hate it. I mean, I, I, it feels like the rules are always kind of changing a little bit. Maybe I don't travel enough, but I never know what they want from me. You know, do I take off my belt? Do I leave it on? Do I take off my shoes? Do I leave it on? Do I have to empty all my pockets? What do I have to take out of my bag to put in the little bin, you know? I'm just, I'm just so afraid of doing something wrong. I don't know what they want from me. I don't know what they're thinking. You know, it's just scary. I'm just afraid that I'm just going to get in trouble. Have you, you ever seen uh, the Seinfeld episode where about the soup Nazi, you know, when, when uh, you have to order your soup at this place just the right way or else he yells at you and sends you away? It's kind of like that's how I feel like at our airport security. I'm just like inching along, just like hoping that I don't get yelled at, hoping that I, I, I at worst, maybe get taken into a side room and strip search, you know, because I've... <laughs> I've got like a metal button on my shorts that I didn't realize I had. It's the worst. I, I feel so good once I get through, there's just like, I exhale, you know, Kim can attest, it's like, ah, oh, we're through, you know, we've gotten that over with. It's, it is the worst, I feel so insecure, it's, it's, it's awful. And, and the funny thing is, is it's, it's, the whole point of airport security is to make us more secure, theoretically, right? That's funny. As I read uh, th- at the end of 1 John, I get the impression that how I feel going through airport security is the exact opposite of how God wants us to feel as we live our lives. It's the exact opposite as, about how he wants us to feel about our relationship with him and our status with him. It's the exact opposite. I, instead of feeling completely insecure, instead of feeling completely you know, doubtful and uncertain and off balance, he wants us to feel rock-solid, certain, confident as we live our lives. Certain, a certainty, a confidence that, that, that comes out of things that, that we should know, that he wants us to know, right? That's why over and over again, this is what we know. We know this, right? And so what is it that God wants us to know as we look at this, these last few verses of 1 John? That, that will move us towards a greater sense of, of certainty and confidence as we live our lives, so that we're not plagued by doubt and uncertainty and, uh, and insecurity. Well, the first thing that I want to point to is that he wants, us to kno- he wants us to know that we are heard. He wants us to know that we're heard. I mean, one, one of the things as I go through airport security, the reason that I'm, I'm so uncertain and so insecure is because, you know, These people don't want to listen to me. These people don't care about me. They're just there to evaluate me and to judge me, right? They don't want to hear, like, my problems. If I try to strike up a conversation with the guy that's, like, ready to pat me down, you know, they they, they don't want to hear it. They don't care about me. But there's the thing. God cares about you. This is what he wants you to know. He cares, and he listens, and he promises to hear He promises to hear you. When John is trying to encourage us to have confidence, verse 14, he says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when he's trying to encourage us to have confidence, the first practical thing that he points to is prayer. Prayer is at the core, I believe, of what it means to be a Christian, to live the Christian life. Well, arguably maybe our, our number one task is to learn, to practice, to be present with God as we live our lives. To talk to Him. To cry out to Him for things that, that we want Him to do in our lives and in the lives of the people around us and in this world. It's one of the great tasks of being a child of God is to learn to be present with Him and to talk to Him and to pray to Him. And one of the challenges with, to this is that I think many of us struggle to believe that God really does listen, that he really does care. We pray for things sometimes, and we don't feel like we see results. We don't see immediate results. We don't see things change obvi- in obvious ways. And so it can be kind of discouraging, and, and we can begin to feel like, well, is God really? I mean, He says he hears us, but he, does he really hear me? Is he listening? Does he really care? John says that God does hear. He is listening but he he adds this one really important thing about about uh about uh, something that's, that's vital for us to know that he hears us he he says um and we know that he uh that if if we ask anything according to his will he hears us he desires for us to 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 have our hearts shaped so that we long for the things that he longs for and we cry out to him for the things that he wants that he desires in fact, that is the most healthy thing. Do you realize that's the most healthy thing for each and every one of us? That, that your desires would become, to, would become more in line with God's desires? I mean, He is the one that made each and every one of us. He knows what is best for us. And so His will is best for us. And so the best thing for us is to, is to, is to learn to shape our desires according to what He wants. And to the degree that we're able to do that and cry out to God for what He wants, What does it say? We know that he hears us in whatever we ask, and we know that we have the request that we ask of him. We we can know for certainty that he is going to answer our prayers. There's a guy named George Muller who lived in the 19th century, and he was a man who was known uh, for his prayer life. And one of the things that he said is that, that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but instead prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. It's not overcoming God's reluctance. I think a lot of us kind of think that, that prayer is all about trying to talk God into doing things. I've just got to pray a lot and, and, and try to get God to do what he doesn't really want to do. But if I talk to him enough, he'll do it. But really, what George Muller points out is that, that prayer is actually laying hold of God's willingness. If we, if we can figure out what God wants and we can cry out for it, we can know. that God, God wants to pour out his power and his grace upon his people, as we pray to him and cry out to him for what he wants to do. And so it's, it's vital for us as, uh, to, to count on the fact, yes, God hears us and God is inviting us to, to have our hearts shaped by what he wants. And as, as our hearts are shaped by what he wants and we cry out to him for what he wants in, in my life and in the lives of my family and in the lives of my friends and the lives, in the life of this church and the life of our community in this world, then he says, I'm going to do it. You can count on it. You can know that I'm going to pour out my power. I'm going to pour out my power. And so what is this, where does this leave us? What does this encourage us to do? Obviously. Step one, we need to pray more. We need to pray more. We don't pray enough. We don't. We spend so much of our lives just relying on ourselves, trying to figure things out ourselves. We, we don't pray unless something really tragic happens. unless unless we're forced to our face. We need to pray more about everything, about big things, about little things. You know, it it might be, we we might be, immediately we might be kind of intimidated thinking, well, if I have to pray according to God's will so that he answers me, then, well, I mean, how am I going to know so maybe I shouldn't even bother? Well, you're not going to be able to pray according to God's will if you don't pray. You need to start by praying. I mean, I I know, I, I know for a fact that it's God's will that you pray. So if you just are praying then you can know that he's hearing you. But we also need step 2. We need to figure out how to shape our hearts so that they're they're, they're more consistent with his desires, his will, what he wants. How do we do that? It's it, the answer is obvious. Kind of the, the applications are so often the same. I mean, where do we find God's will? It's, it's right here. It's in his word. It's in the Bible. We can learn things about God by, by looking out at nature, about how, how great and powerful and creative and beautiful he is, but, but we can only really know what his will for us is by looking at his word, by studying his word, by immersing ourselves in the Bible, by memorizing it, by thinking about it, by talking about it with one another. If we want to have a prayer life that is powerful, then we need to, we need to immerse ourselves in the words of God. We need, to, we need to maybe even pray the words of God is a good idea. As you read a, a short passage of Scripture, just pray through that passage. Pray the things that this person is writing about. We need to know God's word. We need to devote ourselves to knowing it. I mean, if, if you had a, uh, let's say you had a, a, a chef, a world-renowned chef, move into your house, and they were, they said, I'm going to make you a meal Well, somebody told you that this chef He's going to make you a meal, every meal that you want, whenever you want it. The only problem is this chef only speaks French. What would you do? Just let him just hang out up in his room? You would learn French. You would learn French. You would immediately start learning French so you could communicate with this this chef and have him make you the amazing meals, right? I mean, if if we want to, to experience God's power through our prayers, we need to learn his will. And in essence, speak his language for what he wants for me and my own life and my own heart and my own goals and my own uh, attitude towards life for, for the people around me, for the world in general. We need to, we need to learn God's language and we need to pray. Um, and lastly, so, so we need to pray, we need to, we need to learn God's will by studying his word. And, and thirdly, we need to pray more, we need to pray more. We need to pray more. When you need to pray on your own, you need to pray with other people. I want to challenge you guys. Find another person or two people. And just get together. Maybe every couple weeks. Maybe every week if you have time. Just get together for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and just talk with one another. Share with one another some prayer requests and just pray with each other. And then and and talk and and then talk about with each other. You know, how is God answering these prayers? How is God working? You know, I, I, I want to challenge you to find another person or two to just pray together. As I said, we don't pray enough. We need one another to encourage us to pray. We need one another to help us look for how God is working. Because a lot of times it's, it's, it's hard for us to see. We're in the midst of it. So we need to know, first of all, that we're heard, that God cares, that he's listening. That goes a long way towards helping us to feel more secure, Right? when we know that somebody hears us, when we know that somebody sees us and they care. Um, Before I go any further, though, I I have to address verses 16 and 17. You're going to think I'm a coward Um, because it's it's a hard passage to understand, all right? Um, You might still think I'm a coward because I'm not going to really address it very well. But what is he talking about here? He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. First of all, verses 16 and 17, I think, are, is, a, is a specific application of what he's just told them to do. He said, pray according to God's will and God will hear you. And so he says, here's a specific example. If you have, if you have another, a friend who is a Christian and, and, you, and you see in their life that there, that there is sin in their life, that they're not listening to God, that they're, they're living in a way in their life in defiance of God, then you should pray for them. You should pray for them. And, and what is God going to do? He's going to give them life. He's going to change them. He's going to work on them to set them free. And, and that's you know, one really obvious thing. A lot of times when somebody sins against us, when somebody does something that, that annoys me, what are my first instincts? My first instinct is to just become bitter or to maybe get back at them or to complain. John says you should pray for them. That's the most powerful thing you could possibly do. You need to pray for them. But then he starts talking about this sin that leads to death. What is he talking about? You know, He says um, we should pray for those who, who commit sins that do not lead to death. That this, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. For, well, he's not forbidding us for, from praying for the sin that leads to death, but he's like, well, you know, it's really not going to do much good. So what is that sin that, that leads to death? That sounds really ominous. Why, we, should, we should figure this out so we don't commit this sin, right? Um, any time that there's a, a passage in Scripture that it's, that's not really clear, and I don't think it is really clear what this is, um, it's helpful to look in other parts of the Bible, to help God help you interpret that passage. Um, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about a sin that is unforgivable. I think it's very likely they're talking about the same thing. Um, in, in the Gospels, Jesus is, is often in confrontation with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders, and, in spite of all of the the evidence that they have been given, in spite of the the spirits witnessed to the to the Pharisees and the leaders the religious leaders, um, that Jesus is the Son of God, these guys have stubbornly refused to to surrender to him, to believe in him, that he is the Son of god and and in, it's in the context of one of those conflicts that Jesus says that there there is a, a sin that is unforgivable. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I, I think that's very likely what, what, what Jesus is talking about. The sin that is unforgivable is this sin of, of obstinate, stubborn refusal to surrender to Jesus. To surrender to the witness of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is God. That he is Savior and Lord. Especially among the, the leaders, the religious leaders who are even trying to convince others, trying to discredit Jesus. And you have a similar situation here where John is, right, he's arguing against religious leaders who are trying to convince, who are stubbornly not believing that Jesus is the Son of God and trying to convince others that that's the case. I think that's very likely what this unforgivable sin is the sin that leads to death is this stubborn refusal to surrender to the witness of the Spirit that Jesus is the Son of God. That is the sin that leads to death. We can talk more about that after church if you want to, but I want to move on um, to what else God wants us to know. Okay? He wants us to know that we are heard. He also wants us to know that we are safe. Another thing that makes me really insecure as I go through airport security is as I, I don't feel safe. I'm I always afraid that I'm going to get yelled at. I'm going to be attacked by the, the guards. Right? Right? I'm going to get in trouble. I I feel very unsafe in a sense. When you feel really safe, you're able to to be secure, right? When you're you're in a place where you feel absolutely safe, that that nothing's going to harm you, that goes a long way to being being confident, right? And so what what does John point out in verse 18? He says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Second half, he says, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. I think when he talks about he who was born of God, he's talking about the Son of God. He's talking about Jesus. The one who was born of God is protecting those who are God's children, those who have trusted in Jesus. We have his protection. We are safe because Jesus is looking out for us. I think that uh, we tend to want safety in life from pain. We want safety in life from loss. We want safety in life from, from things going against us in the workplace. We want safety in life from tragedy striking. This verse, I think, points us to a gra- the greatest danger that we could possibly fa- face. The thing that we need safety from more than anything else. It's the evil one. It's the devil, right? It says, he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Even though in verse 19 he points out that the whole world lies in power of the evil one. Yet we are children of God and Jesus is protecting us. He is keeping us safe. He has our back. This is the thing. When we talk about the danger that the devil poses to us, it's, it's not that, that he's like hiding behind a tree when we go out to our car at night and he's going to jump out and kind of like club us or mug us. There's a different, more insidious danger that the devil poses to us. When you look at the Bible, how does, how does the devil operate? How, what, what's the kind of danger that he poses to, to people in the Bible? We just read a Bible story to our kids a couple nights ago as we started a new Bible and we were reading in the beginning. And, and, and how did the devil attack Adam and Eve back in Genesis? Well, he, he spoke through a snake, but he didn't use the snake to, to basically you know, bite them, right? He didn't use the snake to wrap around their neck and try to kill them. No, he just used the snake to speak to them and convince them that God is not trustworthy. To convince them that to, to doubt God's goodness, to, to doubt God's love for them, to doubt God's wisdom. That is how the devil was attacking Adam and Eve, and I think that's the greatest danger that the devil poses for us. He wants to drive a wedge between us and God. He wants, us to, drive away, drive, he wants to drive us away from God to doubt God's goodness. He wants to do everything that that is the opposite of what this passage is trying to do. This passage, I think, is trying to give us confidence and security and knowing things. The devil wants us to doubt. The devil wants us to feel insecure about the fact that God listens and that he cares. That is the greatest danger that threatens you. You realize that. To be pushed away from believing that God is real and that he's good. That is the greatest danger. It's it's more dangerous than you going bankrupt, than the threat of you going bankrupt or losing your job or losing your health. The greatest danger that faces you is Satan's desire to move you away from God because God is what we need. God's love is what we need. In the midst of all those other things, what we need most is God's presence and his love. And what this says here is that if, if you are a child of God, if you, if, you, if you have believed in the name of the Son of God, then, then the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is protecting you. And you have nothing to fear from Satan. You have nothing to fear. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. As it says in Romans 8, nothing. And so we can know that we are safe. We can know that we are safe. And lastly, he wants us to know that we have life. He wants us to know that we have life. The passage begins and ends with with this idea, the first verse, in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And then in verse 20, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is it. God has given us eternal life in His Son Jesus Christ. If you, if you have believed in the name of the Son of Jesus of, of, of the Son of God, if, and, and what He means by that, if you have believed in the person of Jesus, in the work of Jesus, all that He has done, that He has lived a perfect life for you, that He has died on the cross to pay for your sin, that He has risen from the dead, and that He rules and reigns now, then you have life now you have eternal life it's not something that you have to wait to get in the future okay it's not something you're you're not kind of in a holding pattern right now you ever go to the supermarket and you have to take a number and wait at the deli counter and sometimes your number is like so far in the distance you're just like what do i do just sitting here waiting till i can order my meat just sitting there just ah it's the worst just gotta wait God says, if you believe in Jesus, you have life now. You have eternal life now. You have what you need now. Yes, when Jesus returns, we will experience that life in a deeper, fuller way. But you have life now a life that brings joy, a life that brings peace, a life that brings security. You have what you need. The thing that you need more than anything else, you have it right now. You have life. And that life is being in Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. When he talks about how, in verse 20, he talks about, we may know him who is true. And then he kind of equates that with, with the true God and the eternal life. Back in the book of John, in John 17, he talks in a similar way that this is eternal life, to know God and the one he has sent. Eternal life is the opportunity to know God, to walk with God, to be in a relationship with God today. No matter what else is going on in your life, no matter what you might lose, no matter what pain you might experience, if you know God, that is enough. That is what you need. And that is what he's given to you. You don't, you don't have to wait for it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. It's yours now. It's yours now. He is the one who is true. He is the one who is life itself. He is the one who has the power to protect you and keep you safe. He is the one who hears you and cares. And that's why I think John ends with this simple command. In verse... 21 he says little children keep yourselves from idols keep yourselves from idols don't try to chase life anywhere else he's just told us that life is in the sun it's in god it's in jesus christ and what jesus has done you have it so why go anywhere else to look for it why try to find life in your career why try to find life in your children why try to find life in your things, in your money, in what other people think of you, in your grades, in your education, in politics? Why try to find life in any of these other things? Why try to find life in, in trying to live for some big, amazing, great cause? I mean, all these things are good things, but, but the only place that will give you life is a person, and that's Jesus. That is where we need to, to just rest It's in the person of Jesus. By believing in Jesus, you can have life today. Will you take hold of it? Because when you take hold of it, when you take hold of the fact that that God offers you right now what you need, life, that he offers to keep you safe and protect you, that he offers to to care deeply about you and hear you, that will set you free to to live with a confidence that is unmatched with a certainty and security that is unmatched. I, I just uh, w- watched a, a video clip of, of, uh, of a family on Instagram, this, this family that, that, I, that I follow, and, and they were playing, I think they were playing uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, September, in their living room. And the, the mom and uh, a couple of kids were just dancing around in the living room just like dancing like crazy. It was so, so cute. Like there's this little boy, he's just in his little underwear, and, and, this, and this little girl is even smaller. She's fully dressed, but she's just like, you know, getting down. She doesn't stop, you know? They just feel so free. Why? Because they're confident. They're loved. They're confident they're safe. They're confident they have what they need. And this is where John wants to move us. This is where God, I think, wants to move us, to live our lives. You know, I, I, I hate dancing because I'm so insecure. He wants us to live our lives by dancing through them because we know that he is with us and that he loves us and that he's given us everything that we possibly could want or need. So will we take hold of it this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would help us. That you would help us to not waste our time with the many idols that we are tempted to run towards. That we would hold on tightly to you that we would know that you are enough for us, that we would know that that real life is found in you and, and we can begin living it today. Help us to live it. Help us to dance in it and know that we are safe and loved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a moment now to confess our sin as we prepare to meet Jesus at the Lord's table. There's a prayer of confession that's printed in your order of worship. We'll pray that out loud together, and then we'll have a silent time of confession. So please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, you raised us to new life in Christ. We praise you for so great a salvation and we humble ourselves before you today. Forgive us for our attitudes that deny your grace. Forgive us for our words that violate peace. Forgive us for our habits that sabotage beauty. Forgive us for our passivity that accepts the unacceptable. Forgive us for our greed that fuels our idolatry. Forgive us for our pettiness that robs people we love. Forgive us for our unbelief, that robs you of glory. Have mercy on us, Lord. In Jesus' strong and loving name, amen.